about you, right? It seems like you've led an interesting enough life to have that sustain a book. It really will. As I kind of look back on it, I'm very kind of, it, it's kind of like this Huck Finn, Forrest Gump, you know, this, how did this happen to this, you know, kid from Oklahoma, you know, and, uh, I've, you know, as I look back, I've had, I've had some pretty, uh, you know, very, very fortunate, very grateful, and uh, but also had some very, you know, unique experiences of meeting some incredible musicians. You know, like I say, I'm, I'm like I say, I'm an old cat, but man, you know, I got to see Light and Hopkins and Mance Lipscomb and Ernest Tubb and Gary Stewart and Towns and Freddie King and Bugs Henderson. You know, I got to see these guys and and know them and hang with them. And uh, so, man, I mean, like I say, it's a pretty uh, uh, remarkable. You know, I'm very impressed. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm very impressed with, with me. yourself. <laughs> you're, 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 yeah. You've lived long enough that you're yeah. allowed to be impressed with yourself. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. But I'm, I'm very, very grateful. I mean, to, to to have to have seen those guys yeah. and to hang with them and uh, you know do shows with Waylon and and you know, like I say and 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 it's, so it's, it's like I say I'm very uh, it's 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 um, it, it's very grateful that for. for uh, and I'm very, you know, like I say, I'm very aware of that, you know, of, of that I've had a pretty good life and an interesting life. Is that uh, is that a relatively recent occurrence, or have you, have you always had that sense of gratefulness? Ah, uh, well, uh, I don't know. It, it's it's a thing. Not really, you know. I'm not, you know, when I got clean and sober when I was 41, you know, at that I got very, uh, very grateful that uh, I was able to do that, you know, and and with with help and. Uh, and um, and and because of that, you know, then like Sam, I'm, I'm I'm aware that I have a uh, you know very very good life today. You know, I mean, my knees hurt, but I'm still writing songs and traveling around and playing them, yeah. and uh, co-writing with people and putting out records and and learning new things. You know, learning different tunings, learning mm. slide guitar, and that that keeps it that keeps it really. You know, learning new things that it's it's really important to me because uh, uh, you know I've mentioned this before. That it's also kind of in the book too. By learning new things, it it gives the song a door to come through that wasn't there before. Hmm. You know, like I picked up a mandolin and learned mandolin and wrote three songs. Uh, that if I hadn't have learned how to play mandolin, I wouldn't have got those three songs. You know what I mean? The, the song's sort of in the ether almost. You well, gotta... it, well, it's just like uh, I don't know if I'd written them if I hadn't. Uh, yeah. Like I say, a lot of the songs I'm now into, you know, a lot, a lot of the bottleneck slide. Yeah. And if I hadn't, so to me, it, it, it's by learning new things, it keeps, like I say, a, a door for the song to come to that wasn't there before. But like I say, learning an open tuning or yeah. a slide. And so, uh, you know, like I say, being an old cat, but I keep trying to learn new things and, and keep, uh, you know, current, you know. <laughs> is 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 writing a book? Is that is that part of this whole trying new things out? Yeah, I guess so. It was uh, uh, a good friend of mine, Tom Jurek, who wrote you know writes for All, All Music Guide. It was mm-hmm. an old friend of mine. I'd, we were talking about something where, and I told him about you know I'd opened for Muddy Waters back when I was about nineteen or twenty oh. in Omaha. And he goes, "Really?" So I he said, "Tell me." So I wrote it to him. He says, "Man, this is a great story." And I said, "Well, you think that's?" be great willie nelson kidnapped me and he so i wrote that and then, he, and then uh you know and then i and stevie ray vaughn uh helped me get sober so you know so these things happened so i started writing he said start so i started uh 
you know, writing it and, uh, and you know, telling the story, you know, growing up, getting into music, but then it's all these kind of yeah. little road vignettes between each chapter to, that keeps it interesting, I, I hope. Well, that's the hard That's the hard thing. I mean, that's, you know, I find a lot of people sit down to write these stories about themselves and they end up just, they end up just being a collection of stories, right? Yeah, I've, I've read, you know, I've read other uh, autobiographies and biographies and everything, and I... Uh, um, I, the last one I read was by Sylvia Simmons, I'm Your Man, the one Leonard Cohen book. Have you read that? Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't uh, read it yet. Yeah, it's incredible. It's just great. And it's just, it just, uh, and like I've got about 50 pages dog-eared where it's just, yeah. it you know, uh, like very inspiring. You know? He was a Buddhist monk for, yeah, for about a he, year or two. Oh, a long time. And then he, uh, <laughs> and then he, you know, came out and his manager completely ripped off his publishing and. Had power of attorney, and it was, I mean, but it's a very, yeah. it's a, and, and Sylvia Simmons, the way she wrote it was just great. It just, it reads almost like a mystery novel. Huh. And so, uh, so you know, like I say, by, by, by sitting down and writing this, I've, uh, I've learned a lot. I'm kind of, I'm at that stage now where the book's finished. Yeah. So now I'm going back doing what they call wreckage of the past pictures. <laughs> Look at some of these pictures when I was younger and going, man, was how uncool was that? <laughs> But, you know, so the record, you know, going, yeah. going through the, looking at photos and doing the layout. So I hope it'll be out probably early next year, I hope. Well, at the risk of uh, stealing a little bit of that thunder, you've mentioned three really interesting stories that, that, that I'd like you to, to talk about. Oh. The, uh, you mentioned Muddy Waters, Willie yeah. Nelson, and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, well, um, there was an old place there in Omaha called Farquhar's. I was, just a little, I was in a little folk group. And uh, we had played up there, and I noticed that Muddy Waters was going to be playing. So I called up the fellow, and I said, can, can I come up and open for Muddy Waters? He said, well, man, you're a folk group. You know, this is a yeah. blues rock. You know, you need a band. I said, well, I can get a band. So I called up another buddy of mine. I said, hey, man, we go open for Muddy. You know a drummer? He said, yeah, I know a drummer. So we, we um, I said, well, I know a guitar player that could probably I borrow a bass. So we got in our van and picked up a, a, a drummer that I'd never had met, and a you know, we went and got this bass play, guitar player and learned the bass as we drove up here. It'd be 40 minutes and uh, <laughs> went up, and it was just really, really cool. I remember, you know, it's one of the things I really remember is they introduced me. and said, Buddy, this is Ray Wiley Hubbard, your opening act. And Buddy goes, How long are you supposed to play? And I go, 45 minutes. He goes, Play 44, don't play 46. And I just always remember that as an opening act, not to go over, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was really cool, too is after we finished we were upstairs in this little office about like this and um see Bonton Perkins was cooking fried chicken in an electric skillet and they were drinking champagne and the guy was paying Muddy and so Muddy just sits there and all of a sudden he goes that crowd down there that crowd really loved me and the guy goes yeah Muddy they, they love you it's great and he goes that audience that audience down there, they just love what I did and the guy goes yeah Muddy it's great they loved you and he goes you ought to give me a bonus. Guy gave him another two hundred bucks. <laughs> I've tried that and I didn't get it, but but it was just you know it was just kind of this old school blues guy. Yeah. Just you know it was just it was just one of those moments that was you know very powerful, very you know like I say very grateful to have been there that time. As did meeting somebody like Muddy Waters at eighteen and meeting all these guys early on, I mean that did that shape the way you treated musicians <sighs> moving ahead? Well, I, you know, they were all, I can't really remember too many 
jerks. Hmm. You know, I mean, the, the, the ones that, you know, Freddie King and Bug Sanderson and Ernest Dove, these guys were just really gracious hmm. uh, people. They were they were nice. And, uh, you know, like with Waylon, Waylon had this thing with that. It's really cool that when it, whenever Waylon would do a concert, all the everybody on the posters, their name had to be the same size as his. It wasn't like Waylon Jennings, mm-hmm. two inches, that Tony Joe White, Ray Wiley Hubbard down. Everybody, you know, it was in his rinder that the poster, everybody's name had to be the same size. And that was just... You know, I mean, I think that was just kind of says what kind of man he was, that he just, he cared about other musicians, and he wasn't, it wasn't the ego thing, you know, I mean, like a, of, he wasn't a showboat, you know, he wasn't showing off, he was just playing the music and, 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 and cared, you know, and, those, and it was, it was really cool when we did some shows with him, and it was really cool, because every, every time we opened for William. We always got paid because <laughs> he would say, you know, says I'm not going on unless Ray gets paid. And then the guy would go pay us, you know. It was, it was cool. You know? it's, funny, it's funny all the stories end up being about money counting. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, it's kind of some of some of those things are important. How did you, uh, you know, because I, I I know you were you were you, know, you went to school. You were uh, I guess a literature major. You became kind of a folky. Yeah. How did you how did you make that transition into being a full on full on country guy? Well, I, I've never, I never considered myself a country guy. Really? You know, I mean, I was, uh, I mean, I wrote "Redneck Mother," which was yeah. an anti-country song, yeah. and I was, you know, into folk music, and I always kind of thought of myself as in into folk rock. You know, when mm-hmm. Willie moved to Austin, and there was Jerry Jeff and Michael Murphy, B.W. Stevens, and that whole yeah. progressive country. I think Stephen Fromhose called it progressive country scare. You know, they <laughs> thought it was going to take off, which luckily, you know. But there were so I was, I was always, uh, you know, a folk singer. Even though, so, but we put together a band, and then that we, uh, um, you know, we did a record that we got a lot of offers on, and it was, uh, it was on Warner Reprise, and we we cut it, and then uh, I guess Warner Reprise said, "Well, country radio is not going to play this," so they went and put girl singers and steel guitars on every track and it, you know it broke our hearts and so uh so I've, I've never been a, a country singer you know i mean I've, I've always considered myself you know a folk singer and then but uh, you know but then kind of got into folk rock and then um and somewhere you know after i got clean and sober i got into a uh, you know i found the groove and i remember the light and hopskin manson and i wanted to learn how to play guitar when to learn how to play f- f- finger picking blues guitar the the country blues yeah. and so uh uh then once i kind of learned how to do that finger pick then it then it was it was a very good marriage i think of having growing up in folk music of knowing how important the lyrics are but then having uh, the grit and, and the groove to it so that's you know kind of where i am today and i feel real comfortable you know wearing that jacket of you know having yeah. having a you know being a folk singer but then also laying down you know the, the country blues groove i guess i guess i guess you know I, I guess i should ask the question what is that what does that mean to be a folk singer to you how do you define that oh well it was you know i guess growing up and you know in 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 
you know, I uh, went to high school with Michael Murphy and B.W. Stevenson, and I stand with it. it was a little folk club, and, and at that time, it was, uh, it, it was, it, it seemed to me, I mean, and I could have been completely wrong, but it seemed like that the folk scene or the whole folk thing, that there was, there was an integrity and a, and a social conscience about it. It's like Woody Guthrie. Yeah, that, that, that wasn't there in like, say, uh, you know, pop, rock, and roll until the Beatles, you know, mm. Dylan and the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Then there was a social awareness, I think, that, uh, you know, came in the music. But before that, the the, the the folk, you know, it had a little more, you know, I thought just had a little more depth and weight to the lyrics rather than, you know, the just kind of the, the, the as, as Dylan says, the Rock-A-Day Johnnies, yeah. you know, and so uh, it, it meant a great deal to be, uh, to to uh, be associated with with uh, musicians of, of that caliber and that were uh, so you know like I said that's that's why it, I still consider myself a folk singer. Where, where do you land on? I mean, you, you mentioned Redneck Mother, and I'm wondering, you know, looking back <laughs> as you're writing as you're writing this book, obviously this has a big impact on yeah. your career. Was it was it a good thing for you? Well, it was. It fits good in the arsenal now, but at the time, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, we wrote the song as kind of a answer to Oki from Muskogee and Fight Inside of Me. We were all long-haired hippies. We would sing it and everything, and then Jerry Jeff cut it. And on his album, he said this song about Ray Wiley Hubbard, which I got a middle name as Ray Hubbard up to then. Mm. And it came out, so that whole progressive country thing would happen. So we'd we'd go on these honky talks. I'd walk on stage. They'd go play Redneck Mother. I'd play Redneck Mother and go, here's a, another song I wrote, and they go, play Redneck Mother again. <laughs> so, you know, it was the only only thing I was known for yeah. for for uh, until recently, as a matter of fact. But uh, so uh, it it was uh, kind of a two-edged sword, you know. I mean, it got, uh, it, you know, it was kind of one of those things since I never did really have country radio hits or hits on the radio. If, if you hadn't heard of Jerry Jeff Warrior, you hadn't heard of me. So, um, but the way that you heard of me was through this song called Redneck Mother, which, you know, the problem with irony is not everybody gets it. You know, it kind of crossed over into the people we were, I guess, mocking, for lack of a better word, were actually singing the song. So it was uh, it was kind of an interesting time. Were you, were you hesitant to play it at any point? Uh, well, it was just, you know, we was... It was a very, a very crazy time, you know. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. It's like we, we when we made the record, um, you know. I mean, I, I thought of myself as a folk singer, but then I was in this band called Ray Wally Hub and the Cowboy Twinkies, where we would come out and we'd do Led Zeppelin and and we'd do uh, Communication Breakdown. And we were doing kind of, and but then we were doing um, you know, a lot of folk songs and, and that stuff. So it was. It was, uh, you know, what we lacked in talent, we made up for an attitude. You know, we had a, you know, we would come into these places and play country places. We'd play, you know, pretty mainstream rock and roll. And it was very separate back then. I mean, yeah. it was a very, you know, very definitive camps, country and rock. There was no country rock at the time. So, so what, who were you playing to at the time? Though? Well, we were playing, we were playing folk festivals. But then we'd go play honky tonks. Then all of a sudden, then what really happened? I guess 
Can you cuss on this? Oh, yes, please. What really fucked everything <laughs> up was Urban Cowboy, the movie. Mm. It just completely, completely ruined it. That movie came out, and all of a sudden it wasn't about the music anymore. It was about this scene yeah. with uh, mechanical bulls and and line dancing and all that. And so, and it was it, it took over. In fact, here in New York, you know, there were country discos. You know, we would land. We landed at the airport to play up here, and we get in a cab, and this the cab driver is this you know guy, and he's got this. These cowboy boots and this straw hat with feathers on it goes. Where you wanna go? You know, it was it would had turned into a fad, and so it's a little it, bit of village people in there. It sounds like too. Yeah, it it was it wasn't about the music. It yeah. was about this scene, the country disco, the line dancing thing, and so it wasn't the 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 the, the music had had taken a back seat to you know the fad of it, and so it was just really hard because you know we were playing there. We'd go to um, uh, we'd book these gigs and there'd be country discos and you'd go in there'd be lighted dance floor and they'd just want to uh, line dance and do the latest yeah. thing so it was just so I, you know I pretty much it was like when we did our record and um, uh, we had put girl singers on it and, and I like girl singers but not on every track steel guitars trying to you know, make it for country radio, and yeah. I called up my lawyer, and I said, what can I do? And he said, I suggest you start drinking because there's nothing you can do. They have the right to do that. So so I did <laughs> for about 20 years. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was just a very uh, – uh, the scene was it, – it lost its – you know, the whole cosmic cowboy progressive country kind of hippie cowboy had kind of lost its – Magic there, you know, and it, it when it went kind of kind of this mainstream. Is that did that actually have a, that director response? I mean, did, you know, the, the you you sort of struggling to, to find your place. Is that really did that, that make you drink a lot a lot more? <laughs> well, it was it was yeah. Well, it, it was you mentioned the redneck mother thing. It was, yeah. it was you'd go in these places, and I, and I, I kind of thought of myself. You know, like I say, as a folk singer, we were kind of a folk rock band, but we were going in these places, but then we were able to play rock and roll, and but we would do a Merle Haggard song, we'd do uh, Lonesome Fugitive, or we'd do uh, uh, a bluegrass song, Bill Monroe, whatever, but then, so it was just, and I, I never could, you know, get on record, never could make a record that... that um, all my records, you know, from up until Loco Gringo's Lament were kind of underfunded, dead-end projects, you know, that just uh, um, were mixed. Well, we mixed we mixed all 11 songs in 24 hours because we ran out of money. And I mean, Loco Gringo's was the first record I did where I could hand it to somebody and look them in the eye and it, it didn't have excuses duct taped to it, you know. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. It, here it is, and if it, it's you didn't have to give a preamble before. Yeah, yeah. and say here, and you know, because oh. a lot of times we'd have well, here it is, and it kind of wins like we ran out of money, and we had to, you know, yeah. mix it, and we just so it was. Um, I could say that's kind of where I was, and you know, Jesus and John Prine have their lost years. I have mine too. <laughs> that, that, that's interesting. So I was going to ask you that because you know this you, you, religion does come up a lot in, in a lot of your music, and I'm mm-hmm. wondering. Uh, how much of a role that was playing? It, that it, 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 was that was that something that played a direct role in your in your getting sober? 
Well, you know, as I I uh, I prefer spiritual awakening to religious mm-hmm. conversion. Mm-hmm. You know, if that makes sense. I mean, I can say I I I don't belong to a church or a, or, or a, you know follow a religion, but I I try to live on spiritual principles, mm-hmm. and uh, and it you know um, it's it works for me, you know. So if, if if that makes sense, yeah. It you know sometimes faith or spirituality doesn't make a lot of sense, but like I say, I've, I've uh, uh, like I say, try to try to live on spiritual principles, and that seems to work. Yeah, well, that's 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 AA, right? Is you know it doesn't yeah. some sort of greater some sort of higher. Yeah, power it's just you know like yeah. yeah, I just kind of had a. You know, did certain things, had a spiritual awakening, and try to uh, maintain a, um, you know, have a, as they say, a reprieve. <laughs> you know, gotta imagine it's got to be particularly hard getting, getting, getting straight around the, around the country scene. You know, because, because I mean, you know, we all, yeah, we all was, sort of romanticize drinking. Yeah. No, no, nobody more so than than country singers. Well, it was you know one of those things. It was just the whole. Um, hard drinking whiskey and pills macho yeah. thing and you're in honky tonks and it's uh uh it was there and uh you know the the whole mythology of the hank williams you know the the yeah. hard drinking but incredible songwriter you know and maybe he was an incredible songwriter not because of his drinking but in spite of his drinking he was there so i don't know it's a very it's a very mysterious process, but that was, uh, um, you know, it was. Uh, so look back now, I just re- didn't realize how, um, you know, how, how confused I was. <laughs> but it, but it took another musician to. It took Stevie Ray. Yeah, is uh, he uh, took the time to uh, come talk. He was the first cat I saw that got sober. That didn't turn into a square, you know. He still had an edge to him. I'd seen some friends of mine, you know, um, musicians got sober and they ended up on the Seven Hundred Club, and I said, I, can't, I ain't gonna do that, you know. And so I don't know. It was just a mind mindset, you know, that I just um, because of I don't know. I guess the I don't know the organized religion or something, but I just. I, but Stevie was the first cat that still, you know, had an edge, and and was cool. He's the first cat I knew that quit drinking that still was cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, were were you worried that you wouldn't be able to you know, sort of sing about these things if you weren't living? Yeah, that yeah, I, you're right. I, yeah. So uh, it's a. Uh, like I say it's a. Uh, I look back over it, I've had a pretty, you know, it's a very curvy road sometimes. Yeah. Hey, guys, we need to, oh my, there's my band. Oh. We're doing a little interview. Yeah. Uh, we'll meet you. I'll meet you in the restaurant a little bit. Okay. Those guys travel with you? Yeah, that's my guitar player and my drummer. Got a bunch of young guys. Yeah, 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 I do. They're just, they, uh. Their 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 roots run deep, yeah. you know. So, I mean, you, you you take a little bit of a I don't know if hiatus is the right word, but there's definitely a, 
you know, looking at your catalog, there's a space of time yeah. you weren't recording. Well, it just, you know, we did the Warner's album, then we just kind of did other, we, we kept trying to make out, you know, vinyl. You know, at one time, you know, in order to make a record, somebody had to say yes and give you some money. It's not like CDs where you can do it now and then huh. do it yourself. And so um, we tried, you know, I had, was on Willie Nelson's label for a while until as he said the thieves took the money and went to Mexico. And uh, then I did another project and, uh, you know, this made up, you know, tried to make albums. You would make vinyl albums of a, a thousand, you know, to live recording and stuff. So you try to do it, but we just never could, um, you know, the the music was good, but the business, we, we didn't, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I couldn't handle that. I mean, it had to be particularly hard if you're you're having trouble finding an actual audience is trying to sell that to a record yeah. company's got to be next to yeah. impossible right yeah well let's say the thing with warner brothers we just kind of had to wait that out you know wait that contract out they said if you're not happy because we didn't really we kind of bitched about the record to the press they said well if you're not happy then but we run a contract to them for five years so at that time that we couldn't record so by that time the whole progressive country thing had come and gone you know and then the urban cowboy thing hitting that then there the next there was no um scene anymore yeah. you know i guess so the, is the lesson of your life if you just keep doing what you're doing eventually people will sort of come around to it well i don't know about that i think you know i've i've uh, uh I, I suppose so you know i mean it's just kind of one of those things if i've uh it's kind of not only what I do, it's, it's who I am. I'm, you know, thinking of myself as a songwriter, mm-hmm. and I feel like I know how to do that. And uh, so, uh, like I say, it's uh, somebody asked me when we did, we're up here, I guess, last year ago, last January, we did Letterman, you yeah, know, yeah, which is yeah. a wild deal, you know. And uh, and somebody said, man, I think 66 was a little late to make your first ever appearance on David Letterman. I went, but man, I didn't want to peak too soon. You know, feel like you know, I'm not feel like I'm not a nostalgic. I feel like I'm, you know, still trying to make records and and uh, write songs that that feel good and that work. So you know, um, I don't know. I'm I have been just as you said, just keep doing it. <laughs> I just you know because I was think I was thinking like you know you could have. You could have changed, right? You could have changed to fit in. You know, there's, there were some clear molds out there. You were having trouble fitting in. Mm-hmm. You clearly had the chops. You could have given people what they wanted. Well, it was one of those things too. When I was, you know, I, when I was, when I got sober, and then I made this kind of decision. I wanted to be a real songwriter. Yeah. Well, in order to do that, I needed to play guitar better. Well, in order to do that, I needed to take guitar lessons. So overcame this. Fear of embarrassment, called up and said, Fellow, so you teach me how to. Because you're, you're in your 40s at the time, right? 40, 42, 40. You've been playing yeah. music for a while, and now you're learning to play the guitar. Yeah, yeah I, 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 knew that, I knew that the real songwriters that I liked, you know, Towns and Dylan yeah. and, uh, and Gordon Lightfoot and uh, Paul Siebel and Eric Anderson, all these great folk guys, they, they finger picking was yeah. an important part yeah. of it. And I knew I didn't have to. You know, I knew it could never be Doc Watson, but I knew I needed to learn how to, to, uh, to, to put my thumb and my fingers at the right place at the right time, and so, uh, so that was very important to me. And then by doing that, um, 
um, you know, these uh, songs started appearing, and I, I, I learned the the craft of it. You know, the, the songwriting is inspiration plus craft. You know, inspiration is what they call the great aha. You go, aha, be a good idea for a song. Oh, it's a snake farm. Ooh. You know, it's a good idea. And then the craft is taking that and make knowing what to do with it. You know, whether it's going to be a 12-bar blues, where it's going to be a folk song, where it's going to be a verse-chorus, verse-chorus, you know, knowing the craft of it. But then the thing of getting back to that other thing about learning new things is the craft will trigger the inspiration. Mm. You know, whether you get a lick or a groove or whatever, then that will trigger. So they so they works both ways. It's interesting. You know, does, does, did, did sitting down and spending all this time thinking about your life, writing a book, did that inspire the songwriting at all? Yeah, I've written... Uh, uh, well, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's one of those things I've, I, I write these songs. Not, I guess I'm trying to whether it's Flannery or Connor or somebody said, mm. or maybe real good is writing, not thinking about the future of what you're writing. Mm. You know, like so, I've never written songs. Say, well, I'm going to write this song to record because I've never known if I'm going to make another record. Even when we did, I did Loco Gringo's Lament. I wrote that, and we did it ourselves on a little $8,000 budget on a little label out of San Marcos. And so uh, I didn't know if I'd ever make another record, but I, but I would write. It didn't matter if I was going to make a record or not. I was, I was writing songs, uh, even if I wasn't going to record them, or even if nobody else was going to sing them, I was writing them. You know, and that was a good place to be. Kind of a silly question, but why why write a song that nobody's going to hear? Well, it's 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 the thing too of there. I was condemned by the gods to write. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who knows? I mean, you yeah. know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like uh, I didn't think of it like that. If I like, yeah. well, well, nobody will ever hear this song. It didn't matter. Hmm. I, I was I was trying to not think about the future of that song, so that would get the full attention of the song at that moment. It's like as a Zen thing of being in the now of writing that song. You know, like say writing. I remember one time Waylon. You know, we we're talking somewhere and he said, well, "Write me some songs." And I went, "What kind of songs?" He goes, "Waylon, goddamn Jennings songs." What do you think? You know, and I went, "Oh," but, but I never could write. For other people, mm. you know, never could sit down and say, "Okay, I need to write a song." I got a chance for Wayland to so and try to write that. I had to write for me, you know, and then not knowing if anybody had ever cut them or or if I'd record them or not. But I've, you know, somehow I have had other people record my yeah. songs. But so. you did find yourself getting more reflective yeah. in the process. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if reflective. It's just that. Uh, like I say, it's kind of the inspiration. Just of kind of keep that songwriter white shark going through the water, just always awake and always <laughs> hungry. Going, where's that? Oh, snake farm. Oh, you know, uh, whatever the last song I've written. Um, Bed spring squeaks. You know what? You know, just uh, Charlie Muscle West Blue. You know, just you never know where it's. Just keep out there doing yeah. it, looking for it. And when it hits, you take grab it. You're probably in 
you know, arguably, I mean, I guess aside from the, the sort of that time right around Red Egg Mother, you're probably in, in the best place as far as knowing that you're going to be able to put out another record, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't, you know, recommend this for everybody, but, you know, I'm sleeping with the president of my record label, <laughs> my wife, Judy, she, well, you know, and, and the great thing about that, though, is like because of, you can do it yourself nowadays because of, uh, is that I have this incredible freedom to write whatever I want. I don't have a A&R guy looking over my shoulder going, we need to write some songs about trucks and dirt roads to get, you know, I can write, you know, about a stripper and a Les Paul. Judy just says, write whatever you want. You do it, and then let me see if I can sell them. So and that's a great place for a writer to be, to write, to have this freedom to write about whatever you want and yeah. to also write uh, without fear, you know, to be able to write, you know, and save, you know, conversation with the devil, to, to say those lines that don't have to worry about if anybody are going to, be offended by it or not you know just to, to be able to, to write fearlessly and so like i say i'm very fortunate right now where okay. i am and, and and we can end on this i know you got to go downstairs but uh because I, I wanted to ask because the uh the texas song i mean were you running the risk of that sort of oh screw in? you were from texas yeah. Did, were you running the risk of that falling in the same place similar places that yeah Hunter? yeah it you know the thing is it was one of those things that you know really told the story as these it's actually you know, it's a, it's kind of an anti-Nashville song. I mean, it actually knocks Texas in there. It says our politicians yeah. are corrupt, you know, and whatever it is, our politi- our, po- our corporations are corrupt. Our politicians are loco. We got a bad reputation because we have a doubt, you know. And so it's telling that, but it's about the music mm-hmm. primarily is that f- that freedom, you know. That it was originally I'd had it, you know, screw you, Nashville. We're from Texas, <laughs> and and because that was the idea, and then. Uh, Gurf, you know, I just was just kind of goofing around because I'd played in Corpus. These people came in and were just really Nashville, and they said something about Austin being the B team, you know, and it just really ticked me off, you know. And I just well, I said, you know, so me and I said, we said, screw you, we're from Texas, we write our own songs down here, and that just kind of yeah. that was the idea that you know we that has that history in Texas from. Blind Lou and Jefferson through Towns, Billy Joe, all these guests is the the songwriter, you know. And so that was the whole idea. Screw you, we're from Texas. We write our own songs. That's how it came about. Is kind of was. So it was one of those things I knew that if I recorded it and put it out there, that the problem with irony is not everybody gets it. Mm. And that, as my friend Scrappy Judd, when he heard it, he said, man, says, you record that, put it out there. says, you can't go be able to grab that cat and put it back in the back without getting scratched up. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, it, it took a chance, but I mean, I, I, was, I figured also on that same record, I think I had Knives of Spain, and I had yeah. some dark songs and some really quality songs that by the time you got to it, if you listen it's to the, the album, song the that by the time you got to it, you would kind of see the persona that would make it work. And like I say, by putting the lines in there, knocking Texas, you know, and it's about, you know, Stevie Ray is the coolest guitar player, and, you know, the coolest band, you know, it's about, you know, and, it, and I was hoping it would come across that the idea that it was about, you know, the attitude of whether it's Texas is a metaphor for whatever, screw you, huh. we write our own songs, you know. Are, are you are you less hung up, though, on how people interpret things these days? 
Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sure it, it still ruffles some feathers. And But, you know, I mean, I got New Year's Eve at the gates of hell and conversation with the devil, and I say stuff like, you know, Buddha is not a... What was it? Jesus, Buddha is not a Christian, but Jesus would have made a good Buddhist. So, you know, it yeah, doesn't really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I think... Um, like I say, that's the, that's the having that freedom, you know, is is a good place to be. And it's, I'm very fortunate about that. So I don't know if I, you know, there's some. I think the new record. There's a couple of lines on there that might, you know, it's like I did one conversation when I, I didn't use cocaine and get high, just like the way that smelled. I think if you can use humor, you know, you can say that, but then you can later on you can, mm. you know, dig. About something, you know. So I don't know. It's like I say, it's a very myst- mysterious process. <laughs> so that was cool, right? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'll admit, uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into when I went to to meet uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard backstage at the uh, the City Winery uh, here in Manhattan. Uh, but man, what a what a super nice guy, and you know, very very excited to talk about everything. Um, really. Really kind of cool hearing a, a legendary musician talk about all of the legendary musicians he's encountered uh, over the years. Um, and somebody who's also very excited to talk about new music as well, um, you know, right when we we shut off the mics um, we actually went to get a, a coffee across the street and you know he started uh, he started talking to me about uh, about his favorite bands and asking me uh, who I was listening to um, so you know somebody's still still very very up on the music scene I mean it I, I suppose it helps when you live in uh, in uh, Austin Texas but uh, he's got a new album coming out in uh, 2015 I think it's still untitled um, at least um, as of the recording of this and uh, a, an autobiography so uh, you know perfect a perfect time to really sort of sit down and, and kind of rehash some of the things that uh, he's he's been through over over the decades because uh, you know a lot of those things uh, are sort of fresh on his mind uh, so thanks uh, thanks so much to to Ray for taking the time to sit down and do that interview uh, thanks to Carrie for setting that up um, thanks to uh, thanks to city winery for for accommodating us uh, once again. Um, thanks to uh, thanks to, to Brian, as always, for editing this thing together. Thanks to Mark and everybody else at Boing Boing at the Boing Boing Podcast Network for hosting us up there. Lots of great podcasts. Uh, you can check those out over at boingboing.net. You can also check those out over on the uh, the iTunes, which, uh, you know, I mean, if you do want to rate the show, that's a, a pretty good place to do it. Uh, if you have any feedback, got an email address. It's riylcast at gmail.com. Com. Uh, we have a Tumblr as well. That's also Cast, but that one is riylcast.tumblr.com. Pretty, um, pretty logical when you think about it. A uh, good place to check out the show because you will you will be able to get episodes uh, hours, if not days, before they go up over on Boing Boing. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. We will uh, be back just about this time next week with a brand new episode of Riyl. <laughs> <laughs>